You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. That'll preach. That'll preach. If you're new with us this morning, just understand it's a fresh sermon series in which we kind of, we unpack the biblical principles that have been smuggled into Hollywood movies and we draw to the surface the gold that God has for us, right? But before we, before we get into that, <clears throat> can we agree in this room that the last month or so has been pretty gnarly as we deal with the smoke in the valley? Right? Like, it's gross, right? Like, there are days we wake up and we can't even see the mountains simply because the smoke is so thick, right? I don't know about your house, but in my house, we've had the air filter on blast 24-7. My wife says it helps with some of the odors coming from her husband, too. I don't know what she's talking about. But that thing, it's wild, right? The, The smoke has been ridiculous. But I want to suggest to you this morning that over the last 18 months or so, there's been a different kind of pollutant infecting our society. And if, sometimes it's really obvious, like the smoke. Sometimes we see it. Sometimes it's really subtle until we take a step back and we look at things through the lens of faith, and then we see it. It's the pandemic of fear. It's the pandemic of fear. You see, every which way you turn right now, there's doom and gloom. Doom and gloom everywhere. Like, you've got the false prophets of CNN and MSNBC spouting off their agenda, peddling lies on anyone that will buy what they're selling. But as the people of God, it's important that we, we understand how to push back, right? Because fear has infected our society more successfully than any virus ever could. Side note. But we need to know how to push back. We need to know how to confront the narratives of fear that kind of come against us and rise up in faith. It's time for us to today, we're going to identify anywhere in our lives that fear has taken root, and we're just going to rip that thing out, all right? So let's, let's start with this. Let's understand that fear is not new, right? It's not some new phenomenon facing mankind, and we're all just, what is this? No. Fear, ever since the Garden of Eden, the fall of man, Adam and Eve, the forbidden fruit, they take a bite, and all of a sudden, they hide from God. Why? Genesis tells us, because they were afraid. They were afraid. It's not new. And we understand that fear has many different kind of flavors, right? Together, we could probably come up with a bunch, right? Fear of the future, fear of failure, fear of other people or their opinions, fear around finances, fear of dying, fear of flying you guys get the gifs, right? In fact, even as I was preparing this message, I was astonished to learn that the APA has identified more than 700, 700 different unique phobias. Like, there were phobias, 700. There were phobias in there I never would have seen coming. Fear of chickens. Are you kidding? If that's you this morning, Fear of sleep, fear of balloons, fear of showering. I did not point at anyone. I'm just, I'm just reading what it is. It's <laughs> I'll be honest with you all. Even in preparing this message, this message I think was on Thursday, spirit of fear began to mouth off. What if you bomb this? 
What if it's a complete flop? It's crazy. But the Bible tells us over and over and over, literally, literally, hundreds of times, Genesis through Revelation, do not fear. But we got to... We got to understand that the spirit of fear is persistently, consistently trying to take foothold in our lives. But how many of you know that in Christ we're more than conquerors, right? So today, today we're going to roll up our sleeves. We're going to tackle the spirit of fear and we're going to stir up some faith in this house. Are you with me, church? All right, all right. So the title of my message this morning is fear and a furious faith. Fear and a furious faith. Why? Because I think it's time that we stir up the furious kind of faith that just stubbornly refuses to tolerate fear in our lives. Right? Why? Because we got to understand, living in fear is not living at all. Christ came that we would be free and free indeed. He came that we would live life in all fullness. Right? He did not come and liberate us from the shackles of, of sin and shame only to leave us in bondage to fear. He came that we may be free and free indeed. He paid the price for you and for me. Hebrews chapter 10 says this, But we are not those who are held back by fear and perish. We are among those who have faith and experience true life. You see, faith, faith, faith is, is the antidote, right, to the toxins of fear. And it's with a furious faith that we begin to come against. You see, we need to understand that fear will create crippled believers. Fear will create crippled believers. But watch this. Faith, faith will cultivate conquering believers. We need to decide what we want to be. I know what I want to be. We need to decide. You see, we'll get into it here in a few minutes, but we need to understand that fear fundamentally is a distraction, right? It's a distraction, but it's deliberately designed to derail you from the purposes and the plans that God has for your life. It's a distraction. I don't know about you, but I get, I get really fired up about literally anything that will try to come between me and all that God has for me. I don't want to tolerate any of that. And if that means that I have to look fear in the face and rebuke the lies of the enemy, let's go. Let's just do it. So the first point I want to share with you this morning is around the importance of knowing your enemy. I want to talk for a moment about what fear actually is. I want to talk about why and how it operates. Because even in the natural, right, we understand that it's hard to overcome an enemy without first recognizing the, the kind of tactics that are in play, right? How am I going to beat you if I don't know what I'm up against? But Rich, why in the world do you keep saying the spirit of fear? That's weird. It's a great question. I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you. So, one of the misconceptions around fear, primary misconception around fear, is that fear is just an emotion. It's just a feeling. It's just a thing. But as a church, we need to understand that fear is actually a demonic spirit that comes against. Right? 
It's an enemy. If we turn to 2 Timothy, we read, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Let's not kid ourselves. The spirit of fear is an enemy that invades our lives in an effort to destroy our destiny. And while we're talking about feelings and emotions and we're getting all kind of hallmark about this, let me share another component to this thing. And and for that, we're going to jump to the first chapter in the book of Joshua. But just for context, before we do, let me explain this. So Moses at this point has died, okay? And God is tasking Joshua with leading the Israelites into the promised land, right? He's tasking Joshua with taking territory. He's telling Joshua it's time to advance. We jump in at verse 9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you. How many of you know there's a big difference between feeling afraid and being afraid? There is a very big difference between the emotion of fear and coming under the authority of fear. There's a big difference. God doesn't tell Joshua not to feel afraid. He doesn't tell Joshua, don't ignore the challenge that I've just put in front of you. He says, do not be afraid. You see, I don't necessarily, day to day, get to choose how I feel, but I always get to choose what I do with it, right? I can feel fear rise up against me like on Thursday, and I can yield to it. I can come under its authority, or I can stand in faith, fix my focus on the promises of God, and watch this, advance anyway, all right? I want to be, I want to be the church that advances anyway, So it was about 2008, I was with some guy friends on a guy trip to Canada, and we find ourselves in Ottawa with some time to kill. And in the hotel lobby, we find a flyer for North America's highest bungee jump. Let's go. So as as a group of guys with arguably too much testosterone and and definitely not enough brains, we decided, of course we're going to sign up. Right? So we drive over, we get registered, and they begin to, to measure our weight uh, so that they can determine kind of the rope needed for each of us. Okay? And I remember thinking to myself, as they're, they're taking my weight and they're writing it down, that sure seems like less than I think I weigh. <laughs> but we're in Canada. These are professionals. What could possibly go wrong? So the bungee jump is this giant crane overlooking this massive old quarry that's since been flooded with water, okay? And so we we make our way up, and we get to the top, and of course, my friends, being the stellar human beings that they are, they volunteered me to go first, okay? So I get strapped in, and I make my way over to the edge, and I'm guessing that the Irishman got even more white than normal. And I'm at the edge because the next thing I heard was, are you backing out? Are you checking it? Is that, are you? Of course, like any self-respecting man. What are you, silly? Of course I'm going to send it. So I jumped off, okay? I jumped off. And I very quickly realized that my suspicions about my weight 
were quite correct. So the bungee cord overextended, and I hit the water head first. And I took the plunge, literally. I was soaked. I was drenched from my head to my knees. That looks weird, by the way, right? Because your feet are dry, and you're, it's a whole thing. And I am soaked. Some of you this morning, <laughs> some of you this morning look shocked and, and concerned for my safety. Thank you. And then there are others. Others that seem to be enjoying my misfortune. There is no Christmas card for you. So it all turned out fine in the end, got dried off. But I'm not too proud to admit, standing on the edge, feet hanging over, there's part of me that was intimidated. And intimidated is precisely where fear wanted me. You see? It's a really simple illustration, but I had a choice. I could either succumb to fear and march myself back down to the car, or I could advance anyway, right? It is precisely the same for you and me as we walk out this life of faith. We need, like, feeling afraid is one thing, but being afraid, living our lives imprisoned by fear is a consequence of choice, not circumstance. It's not about, that's good preaching. Good job. It's not about the situation we're facing. It's not about what's going on around us. It's about what's going on inside of us and the decisions that we're making. Now, some of you might say, Rich, you're trying to overcompensate because we talked about the Titanic last week with Leo and Kate. And you're probably right. This morning, we're going to look at a clip from the movie 300. Quick disclaimer, if you are here with young children, understand that this scene may not be, maybe a little graphic for a younger audience. Let's run that. Well, that's a bit of a problem. See, rumor has it, the Athenians have already turned you down. And if those philosophers and uh, boy lovers have found that kind of nerve, then... We must be diplomatic. And of course, Spartans have their reputation to consider. Choose your next words carefully, Leonidas. They may be your last as king. Threatens a messenger. We bring the crowns and heads of conquered kings to my city steps. 
You insult my queen. You threaten my people with slavery and death. Oh, I've chosen my words carefully, Persian. Perhaps you should have done the same. This is blasphemy. This is madness. The ambassador to King Xerxes, he comes to King Leonidas carrying the heads of conquered kings. And he seeks to intimidate Leonidas into submission. Church, that's exactly what fear does. It tries to intimidate us into submission. Listen, fear is incompatible with where God wants us to go. It's incompatible. Listen. It's deliberately designed to stop you in your tracks, to stop you from advancing, to stop you from taking territory. Just like with Joshua, it's trying to stop us from advancing in the purposes that God's placed on our lives. See, there's a direct relationship between fear and control. Fear and control, there's a relationship there. Because fear consumes courage. And so if I can sell you on a perpetual diet of fear, then I can control you and manipulate you at will. But see, in that scene, every single person is looking at the same situation. They all see the same thing. I mean, some of them even chose to submit. You can hear the the advisor to King Leonidas, we must We must be diplomatic. How many of you know sometimes fear sounds like pragmatism? That's just a freebie. (laughs) King Leonidas, however, he chose not to submit. See, he looked at the exact same situation and he made an entirely different decision. He decided not to yield to it. You see, it was never about the situation at all. It was about the choice. Living our lives imprisoned by fear is a consequence of choice, not circumstance. Now, I'm going to say something that probably will rattle some cages this morning. But Christ didn't come that we would live in cages, so I'm just going to do it. All right? Here's the thing. The amount of fear in our lives right now, this morning, is the amount of fear that we permit. The amount of fear in your life and in my life today is the amount of fear that we permit. Why? Because fear will reside in our hearts only as long as we tolerate it. Only as long as we put up with it. And let me, let me tell you, we have no job, we have no part or purpose in participating or partnering with fear. It's our job to recognize what fear is. Little liar, big mouth. And choose not to come under the authority of it. It all starts with knowing your enemy. The second point I want to share with you this morning is this. 
it is essential that we learn how to feed our faith. Right? Fear comes against us and it can take up residence. But here's the thing, that unwelcome guest, that, uh, that enemy occupying our territory, it's getting bigger because we're feeding it. Okay? So some of us, we started with a pesky little fear monkey that moved into our home. But we just kept feeding that thing. And now we've got this 800-pound gorilla that we just can't seem to move. How many of you think it's time we serve some eviction papers? Right? You see, you know what else grows when we feed it? Our faith. You know what happens when we feed our faith? We starve our fears. Feed your faith, starve your fears. See, and as much as it's important that you and I understand you know, the, our enemy, it's perhaps even more important that we know who's for us. And I don't mean just know, I mean know. Deep down where you really live. I mentioned earlier that there are literally hundreds of references to fear in the Bible. Let's jump to 1 John, we'll strike some more gold here. For there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Why does it say that perfect love casts out fear? Perhaps because when we grasp, fully grasp, that we are perfectly loved by God, that's the same moment that we fully grasp that we have nothing to fear. It's an enemy. So Rich, how do we feed our faith? We start by shifting our focus. We start shifting our focus from what we see to what God says. Okay, 2 Corinthians says we walk by faith, not by sight. But don't get me wrong, faith is not denial of the situation. It's not pretending the obstacle isn't there. It's not wishful thinking. All right, faith, real faith, is not the absence of fear or the absence of the facts. Real faith is the presence of conviction. It is knowing this. It's knowing that if my God is for me, then who can be against me? It is knowing there is no weapon that can be formed against me that will prosper. It's knowing that in him we are more than conquerors. It's knowing, watch this, no matter the situation, no matter the circumstance, no matter the prognosis, if my God is on my side, I cannot lose. Cannot lose. And you might say, and you might say, but Rich, I don't know what's going to happen. And you're right. And neither do I. But God knows. And he's working in all things for the good of his people. Can not lose. Church, we need to shift our focus from what fear is saying onto what God is saying. See, fear is a false prophet. Just, just speaking hopelessness, powerlessness. We need to feed our faith and begin prophesying the word of God. You see, faith is a lot like a muscle, right? If we exercise it, if we work it out, it will get bigger, it will get stronger, and it will overcome. If we don't, it will begin to get weaker and smaller. It will atrophy, and it will not overcome. You see, we got to learn how we exercise that muscle. So how do we do that? We do it in three ways. With our prayer, with our words, and with our actions. If you feel fear begin to rise against you, you begin to pray with boldness. 
If you, if you hear the voice of fear running its mouth, how many of you know that you begin to declare the word of God with authority? If, if, like Joshua, you sense fear trying to stop you in your tracks, how many of you know we advance anyway? We don't stop. In Christ, we are the head, not the tail. We are above, not beneath. We're not under the authority. The book of Luke, Jesus says it this way. And I understand that I have imparted to you all, everybody say all. All my authority to trample over his kingdom. We'll skip forward. Absolutely nothing will be able to harm you as you walk in this authority. Church, we are equipped. We are empowered as the people of God. We have no business living our lives under the authority of fear. I want to share with you a quick story about perhaps one of the most direct encounters I've ever had with the spirit of fear. It's the middle of night, and I am gleefully getting all the beauty sleep that I can get. Why are you laughing? And some of you are like, he needs it. Um, <laughs> but my wife comes, she wakes me up, and she says, babe, there's something wrong in Sky's room, you need to come. So I leap out of bed and I go to my three-year-old's bedroom only to find her literally, physically trembling with fear. As I walk into her bedroom, I suddenly sense this cold presence. Totally weird, never happened to me before. Now, those of you that know me will know Rich is fairly laid back. Like, I'm pretty, I'm pretty laid back, I'm pretty easygoing. Even if you come against me, I'll probably deal with that. Like, whatever, not a big deal. But if you come against my family, oh, you best pack a lunch. Because I'm not going to tolerate that. I'm not. Shoot, I was already mad I had to get out of bed. Now you've really done it. Oh, my gosh. There's this, there's this indignation swelling up in the inside of me. How dare you come against my child? How many of you know I rebuked that thing with such faith and such fury, I probably woke the neighbors? <laughs> How many of you know that I exercised that faith muscle and fear ran out tail between its legs faster than you could say beauty sleep? Coming after my family. Sky was sleeping in no time. Just a quick and aside, if it weren't for man's prayer, I probably wouldn't have known what to do. Just telling you, that's a freebie. We need to feed our faith. We need to shift our focus, and we need to exercise our faith muscle. The third point I want to leave you with this morning is this. Find your tribe. You see, obviously, fighting fear with faith is something that each of us will learn to do. But there's a community element to this thing. There's a component to this thing that involves surrounding yourself with the right people, surrounding yourself with people of faith that will fight for freedom with you. So some time ago, Ruth and I were in Colorado hiking, exploring, camping, the whole deal. And we end up at night, it's a beautiful night, stars lighting up the sky, the whole deal. We end up having this campfire. And I remember saying to Ruth, I said, babe, you and I are a lot like this. She said, what do you mean? I said, well, see, if I separate the logs and the embers in this fire, 
the heat will dissipate and the fire will burn out really quickly. But if I stoke all of this together, this fire will burn brighter, it will burn hotter, and it will burn a lot longer. You see, it's precisely the same with you and I, church. You and I, we were not, we were made for connection. We were built, designed, created for community. You and I, we do life better when we do life together. We're going to jump to our second movie clip this morning. Again, if you have young children, this scene's Probably going to be a bit graphic for a younger audience. Let's go. Spartans, lay down your weapons. Spartans against the greatest army the world has ever seen. How good is that? Gosh. So the Spartans, they form what is called a shield wall. Okay, It's where they stand shoulder to shoulder and they interlock their shields. But watch this. Each one is protected by the strength of their neighbor's shield as well as their own as well as their own. Even in the natural, you and I, we've all heard the expression, there's strength in numbers. Church, the same holds true in the kingdom. That is why we prioritize men and women's prayer. That is why we make such a big deal about connect groups. This is why we place such emphasis on doing life together, on kingdom community. You see, there's something powerful in doing life with people of faith, people that will fight side by side. King Leonidas, he didn't go it alone, and you and I, we don't either. Because we understand the community and connection are kingdom principles. We understand. 
One last thing I'll share, and I'll, I'll be really quick before we land the plane, is this. Fear will also try and isolate you. Sometimes, I think we can get lulled into this false sense of security with a lie that isolation is safe. If I just stay over here on the fringes, well, then no one can challenge me or stretch me, and I can stay in my comfort zone. This is great. If I just sit here on the sidelines, well then, shoot, I don't have to be vulnerable. I don't have to risk anything, and no one can hurt me. Well, I'll just keep it nice and superficial. Then that way, no one really has to see me like the real me. And that way, no one will realize that I'm not perfect. Church, the goal is not perfection. The goal is connection. The goal is not perfection. The goal is connection. Yet sometimes we think that living isolated is safe. How many of you know the devil's a liar? How many of you know that isolated is precisely where he wants you located? Because you're easier to pick off. Church, isolation is fertile soil for fear, loneliness, hopelessness. But when we cultivate community, when we stand shoulder to shoulder together, when we, when we prioritize connection, that is how we fight fear together. It's essential that we find our tribe. Why don't we stand to our feet? We're going to bring this thing into land. I don't want to speak this morning to two groups of people. Two groups of people. You see, if we want to fight fear successfully, we need to know our enemy. We need to feed our faith and we need to find our tribe. But all of it starts with getting our hearts into alignment, getting our hearts right with Jesus. And if you're here this morning and you don't know yet what that is to walk out that life of faith, or perhaps you do, perhaps you've made a commitment. And if you're honest, you recognize that maybe you've strayed from that relationship. Maybe you're realizing today for the first time that Christ didn't come that you could just be free, but that you could be free indeed, living your absolute best life life in all of its fullness if that's you this morning and you want to commit your life to Christ or perhaps recommit your life afresh if that's you then I'm going to ask you with every head bowed every eye closed I'm just going to ask you to shoot up a hand just so that I know who I'm praying with for some of you you've been waiting for this moment Some of you have wondered if today's your day. If that's you and you want to commit your life to Jesus or recommit your life afresh, then I'm going to ask you just to shoot up a quick hand on the count of three so that I know who I'm praying with. Every head bowed, every eye closed, all across this place. One, friend, God loves you. Two, your life will never be the same. Three, all across this room, just shoot up a quick hand. Thank you, God. I see your hand see your hand at the back thank you Jesus we'll give it another second thank you God thank you God 
right, church. Let's all pray this together all across this room. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins. Today I repent and I turn my life to you. Today I choose to follow you with all my heart, to live for you all the days of my life. Thank you for walking with me in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.